Saturday morning, and welcome to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook, your host, on another Saturday morning. Gosh, it's been cold. It's bone-chilling cold. I hope your heating systems are still intact. I hope everything is kind of working. I hope your home can keep up. I know my house, I've had some issues. No broken pipes, no problems per se, but my downstairs will not keep up the temperature unless I'm running the upstairs. So I've found out with my heating system that I really need to run more than one zone in this cold weather to keep my house happy. I know there's been a lot of people that have had a lot of broken pipes and trouble paying their oil bills and and needing assistance this year. I'm happy to report that as of right now, we only have one greenhouse really going. We've got a small little 27 by 40 foot greenhouse that we've got our Easter lilies in and primrose and we've started a few cuttings. But other than that, we're really not burning a lot of oil at this time. Um, we're probably a couple weeks away. You know, around the 1st of February, maybe the week after, we really kind of start up our production. You know, all the pansies and all of those wonderful perennials. And we'll be potting and, and kind of really get, getting going at that point. But I feel for all of you out there. You know, and I, I to be perfectly honest, I feel for the plants right now. It's just been brutal out there. And I think some of our tender plants we're going to have some problems with. You know, I think we're going to have some dieback on the butterfly bush. You know, maybe some of those macrophylla hydrangeas we're going to have a problem with. You know, some of those plants that typically die back, I think we're going to have some dieback issues. And then, of course, we've got the ice storms that have hit and the broken branches and all of the problems with all the ice that we've had. So... I kind of want you to start thinking about when we get a warm break to think about how can we protect our plants. And one thing we've talked about throughout the fall is in talking with Wiltproof, they recommended that we give another application in sometime in February or March when we get a warm-up to protect that last six to eight weeks. We may want to think about doing that a little bit sooner if we get a nice warm stint. Now, I know in the last couple of weeks, we had three or four days that was 40, 45 degrees. And I was sitting there just basking in the sun, really, really happy that we were getting these nice warm temperatures. But that infrequent up and down, up and down is what damages plants. So hopefully we stay moderately cool and don't warm up too much. But we might think about that wilt proof as as kind of an insurance policy, okay? And then, of course, at this time of year, if you have broken branches and you have things from the ice that have been damaged, you may consider doing some pruning right now. The sap is not running in any of these plants. It's a good time to remove damage and infected materials on those plants, and it will be a good way to get rid of that before we get to the spring when everything starts to leaf out. Now, I understand it's bitter cold. I'm not telling you to go out this weekend and do that. I'm not even telling you to go out and do snowshoeing or anything this weekend. It is going to be awfully cold. But what I'm saying is put that in the back of your mind. Continue to think about what you can do to make these plants as successful as possible. Now, you can't cover anything at this point. You can't do anything more to protect plants. 
But when we get those opportunities, go out and kind of help your plants along. Big help. You know, luckily, a bunch of the snow is gone, and there's not much frost in the ground. You know, right now, there's maybe three inches of frost. Now, with this cold, cold weather, you're starting to see parking lots move around. You're starting to see, you know, the roads and the bumps and the potholes show up. Now, those are all areas that the snow has been plowed off. You go out into your garden and you go out into the woods, there's very little frost in the ground right now. Now, with these temperatures below zero, negative 15, negative 25, it's going to get in there quickly because the snowpack isn't there. Uh, But let's see how that goes. Hopefully, it will be in early spring. I'm thinking spring at this point. And today on the show, we're going to have Tom Atwell. Tom Atwell, how are you? I'm doing well this morning. Now, Tom, you have written for the Portland Press-Herald for how many years now? I have written for the Portland Press-Herald since 1974. Uh, some years I've written more than others because I was a copy editor for a couple of decades in the middle. But uh, I've, I've been there a long time. You've been doing it longer than, well, almost as long as I've been alive. <laughs> I'm a 73 model. Okay, that, that, that is okay then. <laughs> So you've definitely been doing this a long time. Tell me a little bit about your history, how you became a journalist, and and, and all of that. Okay, I was born in Skowhegan, grew up in Farmington, uh, graduated from Farmington High School before Mount Blue even existed, so that Mm -hmm. means I'm old. Uh, Went to Orono, uh, was going to be a teacher, Uh, hated education courses, and I'm pretty sure I would be an awful teacher. Uh, I really liked writing. Even then, you know, I was going to do English teaching. So then I switched to journalism and graduated in January 69. Took me some time to do that. Uh, had a couple of years in the Army. Went to work for the Lewiston Sun for a couple of years. Then moved to the Press-Herald in uh Full-time March of 74 as a copy editor on the state desk. Became a reporter in 75, covered City Hall. Wow. uh, Which was uh, a lot of fun. Um, uh, Then covered the State House for two years. The last year with Jim Longley as governor and the first year as Joe Brennan. Then did that. And then I had a couple of decades, actually, as a copy editor and writing a little bit features now and then. 2004, uh, they started doing a home and garden section. And uh, this is an odd story. My uh, editor was wondering who to have, and she was going to try to get Paul Tukey to yep. to write a column. You know, people, places, and plants, things that were going well, only there was a deadline going. And he was having his second flower show under the tent at Scarborough that year. I remember that well. And he was unreachable. <laughs> so finally the deadline came. And she said, well, Tom, you do a lot of gardening. You can write. Do a garden column. And I said, well, what are you going to take away from my copy editing duties? And she said, nothing. So I consulted with my wife, and she said, you'd be crazy not to do it. It'll be a lot of fun. There you go. So there, you go. there it was. I've done it for almost 10 years, 10 years in March. Uh, that's unbelievable. Here we are, a couple months, and it'll be 10 years. <laughs> I mean, and I'm sure it went by just like that. I just, mean, just like that. It's you know? really quick. So – I tend to disagree with you. I think you really are a teacher. <laughs> you teach through your writing. And and it's amazing the information that customers come in 
uh, week in and week out, and and really kind of take home a lot that you say in your articles. Yeah, that could be, but uh, the readers don't talk back immediately, and the students would, so that's where I would have had trouble. Uh, I might have that problem also. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah you get that. So, uh, yeah, and it's been a lot of fun. I mean, again, my parents in Farmington did not have extensive gardens. They mm-hmm. were on... Uh, a so-so lot. They uh, didn't start a vegetable garden until after I was out of uh, out of college and mm-hmm. sort of away from the house. They'd had a few flowers, but my wife came from a really gardening background. Mm-hmm. Her uh, grandparents were truck farmers in Cape Elizabeth, growing stuff for the Boston market and so forth, okay. and a farm out there before. Cape Elizabeth became all doctors and lawyers, and uh, and that's you know our our house is on a the last piece of the property that's still owned by the family. It's sort of a backwater part of that farm, mm-hmm. so we got about oh half an acre or so, I would say. And, and it's filled with gardens. Isn't it's it? filled with gardens. <laughs> we've got uh, vegetables. We've got uh, perennials. We do most of our annuals in pots rather than, uh, you know, in the garden, mm-hmm. you know, because we've got a brick patio that's fairly big. And, uh, but a lot of perennials, a lot of, uh, a, a big area devoted to vegetables. And uh, so it's great. Yeah, it sounds like, you you know, your wife really spurred a lot of this on. She really, you know, loves gardening also, correct? Yes, she does. She, because... Um, we got there, and she became a member of the garden club. That's what her grandmother and mother had done, you know, the family tradition. But she went farther and became a flower show judge and took landscape design courses through the garden club and learned a lot about it and got into uh, a whole different bunch of ideas like uh, that and studied up on it and mm-hmm. because uh, – I had to be out there helping her. I picked up a little bit of it as we went along. But I keep saying that she's a better gardener of the pair of us. I'm just happen to be the one who writes the column. You're a team. Yeah. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, you've been doing this gardening segment for almost 10 years. Yeah. Is there a topic that you haven't covered? I mean, it, does it become hard to find things to talk about at times? Well, no, it, it really doesn't. Um, first, because things change all the time. And besides, I mean, I can't remember what I've written about some time, and I spend a lot more time writing them than people do reading. And so if you get a little something new, you take a different approach. Because mm-hmm. I've written about, say, winter interest probably in the 10 times, four years, you know, four right. times. It's, you know, you do it once, and because there are new plants you you find out about or, or introduced. Uh, so you can repeat topics, but I always go to Melna, like we are at uh, earlier this week, yes. Maine Landscape Nursery Association. I go to New England Grows, which is a three-day monster show in Boston yes. where you get go to a lot of lectures, pick up a lot of different ideas. Uh, so I try to go out and go to all these programs so it gives me new information. And, you know, so I have basically what I consider two kinds of columns. They're the kind where I talk to people or attend lectures and get new 
information. And then I have what I call the top of my head blather columns where I just uh, have an idea and just give opinions. And mm -hmm. I try to keep those to about one every two months or so mm. because that's enough of me. I'd like to have <laughs> other voices in there. I find, you know, that I have to be reminded that not everybody knows. I have to repeat things. I have to bring them up time and time again because at a certain point, I kind of feel like I've covered something. But what I don't realize is there's new listeners. There's new people reading a column. There's new people that haven't heard what I've said before. So I do have to keep bringing some of that old back in and kind of repeating it because you always have a different audience. Oh, yes, you do. And it's sort of like, you know, I just assume, you know, when I try to say it's a zone five plant, I, I occasionally have my editor say, who's been tasked to read me all the time, what does that mean? Right. I said, well, okay, so that means it's, well, it's cold hardy enough for mostly the coast of Maine. Zone four is almost all of Maine. Zone three is even the crazy places in Aroostook County where almost no one lives. <laughs> <laughs> where spruce trees and uh, beech trees grow well. That is true. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, I find that sometimes, you know, I'll be talking with my wife or people at work and, you know, I'll have seasonal employees that say, hey, can you go over this? You know, and I'm like, geez, I've covered that, you know, whether it be, you know, here at the radio show or on TV or, or in our newsletter, you know, but you keep, ha you have to yeah. rehab. And like you said, there are so many new varieties and different things that kind of keep getting pulled into our industry. I'm sure in 10 years you've seen the vast change in this industry. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. For example, when I first started writing the column, I wrote about endless, hydrang end endless summer hydrangea mm -hmm. as a brand new plant. And now there are you know, probably a dozen endless summer uh, things in either the chain or imitators right uh maybe even more than a dozen so yeah. but the uh reblooming uh hydrangea is an industry staple now and that's just 10 years right it, 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 and and other plants new uh reblooming lilac i mean right. bloomerang yeah. is yeah, Michael Durr says it's not a great plant it's better than what's out there but he right. keeps saying that there will be a better one well, and, you know, you started out with Josie, which yeah. not many customers know about Josie. And Josie kind of acts very similar to Bloomerang, but it just isn't as powerful a bloom in the spring. Yeah. And now we've got Bloomerang Dark Purple. Yes. You know, which really, to me, isn't a dark purple flower. It really is a dark purple bud, and then it opens up the same lavender. <laughs> so it's an improvement, but is it that much of a difference? And from my understanding, there's a new white one coming next year. So the plant hybridizers are just nuts. They're yep. crazy. They're crazy group. They sit in a room, and they it's like mad science stuff. I don't I don't understand how they come up with some of this stuff, but they do. Yeah, and, <laughs> and they sort of have to because, I mean, after a while, you're – Common lilac or French lilac or whatever they, the correct name for it is, uh, you know, people aren't going to buy that anymore unless they've got a brand new house. But they say, oh, I've got to have this new one in this corner of my yard. Yeah. It's a way to make money to yeah. peak interest. We all need to make money. It comes down <laughs> to dollars in the end, unfortunately. But 
What I will say, you know, when someone has a new house, they'll say, oh, geez, I got to have my grandmother's lilac. I don't care about this <laughs> new one. I remember my grandmother's lilac and how fragrant it was. So we still do carry some of those old varieties, but it's tough to carry all these varieties. I remember when I first started in this industry, way back when I was a little wee guy, you know, there was probably 12 or 15 shrubs we sold. Yeah. Ewes, spirea, lilacs, wagelia, junipers. Uh, that was the key categories, you know, and life was really simple then. And you can drive by houses now and say, that was planted in 1950s because those plants are trendy. That was planted in 1960s, especially if people haven't, you know, yanked them out, gotten sick of them, pulled them out and adjusted. You can look at Absolutely. the landscape and tell when it was planted. You can by tell the trendy. age of the house. You know, the mid-70s house had, you know, 12 ewes in front of it. They all were sheared. Some were pyramidal. <laughs> some were spreading, you know, and that was it. That's what the contractor put in. I can remember selling hundreds upon hundreds of them as a young younger nurseryman. And that's all you had to worry about is you stocked 25, 30 items. You yeah. know? Now you've got to have two to 3,000. And how do you make those choices? There's so many good plants. And if someone – and this, this is, you're supposed to be asking me questions. But if someone reads about a plant, say, in my column – goes to you or any of the other nurseries and says, can you get this? Can you special order things or does it take you a year or so to get stuff like that? Many things we can special order on a week-to-week basis. So it's very easy to get a lot of these plants because the nurseries we deal with are constantly changing inventory. And things that we might not be available first thing in the spring will be available you know, come, say, August, yeah. when, when all the plants for 2015 start becoming available. So we're going to take a quick break right here. This is a good breaking point. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. Regular old mulch leaving your plants wanting more? Casella Organics Nutri-Mulch is a superior mulch for improving any landscape. Made in Maine from aged native bark and earthlife compost, its dark color and rich texture are ideal for perennials, ornamentals, trees, and shrubs. Earthlife Nutri-Mulch is nutrient-stabilized with compost, so the bark doesn't compete with plants for nutrients. Visit CaselaOrganics.com or call 800-4-COMPOST for a source near you. I want a great garden this year, but I don't know where to start. Does this sound like you? With so many great plants available, it can be tough knowing which ones are right for you and your home. The gardening pros at Estabrooks can help. Every time I come, they're always helpful to us. They are really knowledgeable about things because I don't know that much about gardening, so they always tell me what you know would be right in my house in the sun and the settings. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. Welcome back to the Joy of Gardening. I'm Tom Esterbrook, your host, and we are here with Tom Atwell. Uh, you are freelance now with the Portland Press Herald. Yes, in uh, October of 2011, uh, the uh, previous owner went through its last round of layoffs. I uh, could, uh, I was pretty much given an option to go back to work nights or uh, 
retire, take the buyout, whatever. So I decided to do that. So they, uh, but they agreed to have me continue doing the gardening column. And it's also a beer column that I do on Thursdays. And I figured, uh, do the most fun part of my job, not have to drive into the office, not have to, uh, do the, you know, sort of routine, but necessary copy editing, layout of pages. So, uh, it's been a whole adjustment. It's, Two years and two and a half years almost. October of 2011, I left. Now you got more time to do what you really love to do. People keep telling me that, but it <laughs> seems like it all gets eaten up in various things. You know, I'm still plenty busy, but it is. I I will say that there were fewer uh, weeds in my vegetable garden uh, since I've retired because I actually did do that and didn't have to depend on Nancy to do all the uh, hard weeding. Mm, mm. So let's talk about vegetables. You yeah. know, um, I've read many of your articles over the years and uh, was looking back through some of them. You've got a pretty extensive vegetable garden, correct? Yes, we do. Uh, we have, It's pro- it used to be about um, 50 by 50. Mm-hmm. Um, over the years, we've uh, kept picking up uh, shrubs and woodies that we didn't have a home for. So we, quote, temporarily put them into the vegetable garden, and now some of them are 8, 10 feet tall. Uh, so, But basically our kids have gone away now, so we really need fewer vegetables. But we've got a raspberry patch, which produces a lot of raspberries. We have an asparagus uh, row that we have to uh, – it's died out in places, so mm. I'm going to buy a few new uh, crowns this year yeah. and, and fill that up because that's one of my favorite vegetables. I agree with you. And, then, and it's nothing like fresh asparagus. No, yeah, you pick it in the, uh, just before you want to eat it, and there you've got it. What you buy in the grocery store for asparagus is nothing like fresh asparagus, right? Picked out of the garden, yeah. nice and tender. You know, and the thing about asparagus, a lot of customers don't realize is this is not a one year process to get a crop. No, it takes you three years to be able to get any and because you're supposed to let it grow for the first two years without cutting. You know, mm-hmm. you will see some that uh, you could eat. And then it's probably five or six years before you're getting as much as uh, you're going to get, and then it sort of dwindles down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. you need to kind of refresh and, and add some new – you know, what I, I like to tell people is about every three years you might want to add some new asparagus roots so that, you know, you've kind of got some stuff coming on down the road, and then you're not in a situation because usually people who are growing asparagus love it so much that they can't live without it. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, E.B. White and his wife – uh, had a huge asparagus bed, and during the season, they ate asparagus three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They were crazy for it. That's not uh, like it. That's love it. That's kind of fanatical. Yeah. I couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, his wife, Margaret Burke, was a garden writer, too, so they were big on gardens. And uh, so I, I found that when I was when I was thinking of my love for asparagus, I just rate it Compared to uh, E.B. White. There you go. There you go. <laughs> now, you do a lot of different types of tomatoes typically, correct? Yeah. Um, it seems like in last year was awful for tomatoes. <laughs> I, um, I think it's an every other year thing yeah, for uh, people. Because last year, um, 
because it was so wet, I think the pollination was later than normal in the spring. Mm -hmm. And uh, but we had very few full size uh, tomatoes. We had a, enough. Uh, cherry-sized, you know. Sweet 100 uh, type, you yeah, know. Yeah, I, I went with Jasper this year just yep. to try it, the new uh, award winner from Johnny's. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had, I think it's Sun Gold. Sun Gold, yeah. Which produced really well and tasted better than Jasper, actually, yep. I thought. I like the Sun Gold. It's got a lower acidity, and it really is sweet. Yeah, but I think I'll go to either Sweet Million or Sweet 100, mm -hmm. go back to something that I tried. I haven't seen anything new that I want to try. Jasper was great in that it didn't split. It looked mm -hmm. great, but the flavor just wasn't quite what I had hoped it would mm -hmm. be. Yeah, I mean, I got my vegetable garden in, I think, around 4th of July. Yeah. Well, with it so it wet was last so year. wet and cold, and I was just busy, and, and I'll tell you— you know, it's never too late to start. I've I've come to this conclusion. Now, I've prepped my garden for next year. So I, mm. I had to do garden prep last spring. I didn't get there. But I've prepped for next year. And uh, my my wife, you know, when she says, I just want a small garden, I don't do a lot of things small. Anybody who knows me, I'm kind of, you know, <laughs> I, I kind of tend to overdo stuff. So, um you know, I think I've got about a quarter of an acre tilled and, and prepped, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah. But uh, I think there'll be a lot of pumpkins and squash kind of taking up some, <laughs> some extra space, maybe a little corn just to play with. But, uh, you how know. How do you keep the raccoons from eating your corn? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> well, first off, I mean, I've clear cut my 18 acres uh, uh -huh. this winter. I'm, I'm in the process of, uh, of building a, a Christmas tree farm. Oh, um, we're okay. going to do a cut your own Christmas tree farm at, at our place. We've been planting some apple trees and kind of creating a situation. We'll probably be seven or eight years before we're we're fully complete, but something fun to do, you yeah. know, in my spare time. You yeah, because I, I gave up on corn about oh ten or twelve years ago, and I live you know a mile from uh, uh, Jordan's it. and a mile <laughs> from Alewives, and I told the grandkids when I did because they love corn. It says I'm going to stop doing it. They're right down the street. It's worth the money to me to do it. So. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and you know, to be perfectly honest, it would be just for fun. Uh, yep. the, the likelihood is I probably would not get much out of it, but it would be for fun. Oh, yeah. You and, know? and one thing I was thinking, well, what's the worst that happens? I use them at corn stalks for, yeah. for uh, you know, decoration in the fall yeah, or, 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 or whatnot. <laughs> so I'm always thinking, well, you know, if I really don't get around to doing it well, I may not get the corn, but boy, I'll have some nice corn stalks to decorate the porch and, and kind of do some Indian corn maybe. I don't know. I, I, I just, I've never grown corn effectively, and now I have space to do so. So I might try it, you yeah. know? And, and the thing is, I, whenever Nancy and I are talking about, you know, something goes bad, we keep saying, I'm glad I don't have to depend on my living for what we grow like the old people do. This is a hobby. Absolutely. It, it, it's, uh, so I, but. Uh, you can't get caught on the failures in oh, no. a you garden. Can't. You've got to focus on the triumphs. <laughs> you know, plants are living things. They're, you're never going to have a perfect vegetable garden. One year, the tomatoes are going to be stellar. Yep. You're going to have sauce. You're going to have all that. But the next year, don't plan on the growing scene be, being the same. The growing season is different every year. I've 
been in the garden center industry over 20 years, and to be perfectly honest, there's no season that's the same. No, it, it isn't. And getting back to what you were saying about not planting your vegetable garden until uh, July 4th, uh, Eric Seidemann from Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners, I was at a talk that he gave at the Ag Show. He said that all of his potatoes rotted into the ground until he finally put some in in mid-July last year, and they were some of the biggest, uh, best toma- potatoes he'd ever had. So even if you're having trouble at the beginning, it's almost never too late to put something new in. So the, go the for it. The growing season was amazing <laughs> from the 4th of July until early October. It really was. The conditions were perfect. You know, we had great sun, heat. All you need to do is add the fertilizer and water. Yeah. And stuff just exploded. I was amazed at our little 12 by 12 garden that we put in last year, how much was produced. Now, we used a lot of starts, you know, plants that had already been going that were in bigger size pots. So the later on in the season, the bigger size plants I recommend you buy. Yeah. Because you're basically buying time. Now, you might pay a little more, but your reward's going to be so much better on the other end. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Because... You know, and, you know, you look at some of these things and you go, wow, I got to pay that much for that plant. But if you're planting in July, you're buying two months of time. Yeah, that's true. You know, some of the things I put in with seed, like, for instance, uh, my, my beans, mm-hmm. I just didn't have enough time to really get the crop you know, appropriately. So I did well late, late fall, but the beans were wonderful at all the, <laughs> all the farmers markets and everything. So I didn't really miss out. I just had to buy some from our local farmers, which, you know, they struggled this year. It was, it was yeah. tough, you know, and the same thing I have when a customer comes in and asks me about apple trees and I'll always ask a question, well, what are you expecting out of these apple trees? And the question usually is apples. And I said, well, are you expecting an apple that's in the grocery store or expecting an apple with some blemishes and a few, you know, insects in it and a few other things. And do you have the time to spray, prune and fertilize and maintain it? And usually they go, Oh, I, uh, I don't know. I said, well, you know, why don't you just go to the orchard, pick a bushel of apples. You'll have enough apples for the whole season and you'll have a fun family event. Yes. Usually they go, that's a good idea. I'll take a crab apple. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because you're a better looking uh, plant for your uh, landscape than your standard, uh, even dwarf apple trees. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I have six or eight in my yard, but they're mostly for animal attraction. I have a lot of yeah. deer in the area. You know, I like looking at the wildlife, so I don't have any problem. Now, as I add more ornamentals, I may take a different stance <laughs> on that if they start eating stuff. Yeah, if you're a hosta <laughs> fan, uh, you probably don't want to invite deer to your yard. Yeah, the one thing is, I don't have a lot of shade anymore all the trees are gone so now i have to plant trees but as a nursery person i like having space to plant my trees the ones yeah. i want you know i put a uh nissa sylvatica wildfire in last fall and i can't wait to see that when it matures you know yeah. that brilliant red new growth and it's just a cool cool plant but let's talk a little bit about uh some of your other favorite plants so we've talked a little bit about vegetables but yeah, actually, we talked about asparagus, but our favorite vegetable is peas. Our yeah. family is weird for peas. We grow a lot of them, uh, sugar snaps and others, because it's just sort of a family tradition to uh, sit on the patio, chat, and shell peas. So that other plants, I am, have, in the last five years, I've uh, 
gone crazy for Physocarpus, mm-hmm. Ninebark. There are so many new dark varieties that whenever anyone uh, asks, what should I put in there? Nancy says, he's going to say Physocarpus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so I've fallen in love with those. I like um, the hydrangeas, but I'm getting to the point where the the big ones, I like some of the... Uh, there's all these new dwarf yeah, varieties. Yeah, the dwarf varieties. The, uh, the I I like what I want more than big flowers. I want ones that aren't going to flop. I want right. good strong. You know, stems. like quick fire is a is a wonderful one. But now they're coming up with dwarf varieties of all these standard types. Yeah, you know which I like. You know, like little lime, bobo, all these different ones. But I agree with you. I'm not a guy that likes the old fashioned PG. You know. Tree form kind of flops over. I like that nice big panicle hydrangea that stands upright yeah. and really shows off from a distance. And I think as they mature, you know, if we get heavy rain, they don't flop. They right. still stay upright. They really look great. You know, there's nothing that frustrates me more than you've got this beautiful hydrangea. You get one big rainstorm and then everything's. Yeah, and then you have to go out and stake it or yeah, whatever. Just, That's not a lot of fun. No, you know, and and you know, let's face it, this show is about having fun and yeah. gardening. And you know, if we can kind of take out the work, the yeah. work is the part that people don't have fun at doing. So you know, well, I don't know. I like getting out there. If I decide I don't like that plant anymore, I, I'll dig it out. Put it in the compost, put in something new. I don't mind doing that. Well, I think that's the part of an evolution of gardening (laughs) is that there's so much new stuff. It's okay to to discard some plants when you get tired of them. Yeah. You know, my definition of a weed is anything you don't like. Yeah, or anything that's (laughs) growing in the wrong place. Yeah, but that's the same thing. But yeah. You know, uh, you know, plants are meant to be changed over and things added and subtracted and multiplied and divided. You know, yes. that's the way a garden kind of evolves. And you can't be afraid of making a mistake gardening. Oh, no. I mean, it, 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 anything is fixable. It may take five or ten years, but it's fixable. Mm, absolutely. You know, I mean, they are living things. They do have heart attacks, you know, and <laughs> sometimes we can't help that. Plants are living things, you know. But have you made any mistakes in your garden that you can think of that you just go, boy, I don't Let's see. There was, um, I wish I hadn't put the hedge of uh, lilacs right in front of the house so it sort of uh, cuts off the view of the vegetable garden. Uh, There were, again, there there have been plants I've grown. so I, I tried some uh, elderberry sambucas Mm -hmm. that just didn't really do it. And I think maybe we, I don't know why, but uh, that just didn't work, but nothing that, you know, cost me maybe 20, 30 bucks, but wasn't it a, a huge thing that uh, going to make me, you know, so you always make mistakes. Yeah, I but. think as I've gone around, along in my gardening kind of, you know, life, I've found that I really need to stress to people, and I've made this mistake time and time again, of putting things too close. Oh, yes. Plants grow bigger than any sign, any tag, any other thing because they don't stop growing. Yeah, they say the ultimate height, but that's really the 10-year height. Right. And uh, at that point, so my, my what I've always told people is, you know, 
plant them far apart. If you don't like that there's bare ground between them, throw in some annuals for the first few years, and then they'll get bigger and take over. Um, because, uh, you know, everyone does overplant. And then what you have to do then is just, once they do get crowded <laughs> out, cut it down or dig it out. Yeah, and, and, and that's expensive. And yeah. and it's also to move a lot of these things, It's they're heavy. Oh, yes, they At are. At that point, you know, you're talking about a 200-pound a root ball. You know, you got to rent a tractor. you got to <laughs> do all these other things, you know, or you got to hire somebody to do it. And then some, you get a price from someone to move it, and you go, $200? Heck, I can buy 10 plants for that. You know, or I can buy three plants for that. I'll just cut it down and I'll buy three new plants. Yeah. You know, and that's what we run into all the time is people will put a tree, for instance, too close to the house. And it'll get up to four and five inch caliper. And then all of a sudden they're like, wow, I really, you know, I want to move this. Well, you got to have somebody come in. It's going to be $1,500 to move no, it. Yeah, you know, at that point you just have to cut it down. And and a lot of people just go, it's really that much? And it's like, well, you need a big machine to move a plant that big. You know, it's not as simple as you just pluck it out of the ground and move it over here. Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, that's my always my crutch. I, I And moving to a new house in the last two years, my overall goal is I can't put more than six plants in the ground in one season. <laughs> and the first year I put eight. Okay. <laughs> and the second year I put one. Oh, so I'm going for an average. I'm going for an average. But, you know, don't think you have to do everything in one year. Gardening is a lifetime project. Yeah, it it really is. And it it will change because once you get into, uh, you know, retirement age or whatever and you don't want to go out, you do patio plants and put them out on the patio and, you know, bring them in and – the fall, right. you know, find a place. Uh, you you don't have to if you don't feel like you want to go outside and do it. Just switch to patio plants. You move to a smaller house, you can keep gardening. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back to patio plants. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. At Costa Maine Organic Products, we've known for a long time that plants love lobster just as much as people do. It's one of the reasons we started composting marine residuals back in 1996. And although we've had great success in getting gardeners and their plants hooked on lobster throughout New England, the Mid-Atlantic, and Midwest, the heart and soul of what we do is here in Maine. Plants love lobster because the calcium and chitin in the lobster shells break down in the composting process and become plant-ready food that help to make your plants strong and healthy. And of course, the plants don't use any butter, so they're even healthier. So support your local retailer and Maine's lobster industry by using Coast of Maine's Quaddy Lobster Compost in your garden. Coast of Maine, a lobster compost company. Approved for organic growers by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Visit us at www.coastofmaine.com. 
For over 60 years, Wiltproof has provided the most effective protection against moisture loss in plants under water stress, and no other product comes close. Our non-hazardous, organic, and biodegradable film is like having several layers of protection. As the outside layer of Wiltproof wears off with the weather, another layer forms. Wiltproof is the only horticulture anti-transparent that has the ability to provide this long-lasting protection. Put your trust in Wiltproof. Check out their site at wiltproof.com. That's wilt-proof, P-R-U-F, dot com. I want a great garden this year, but I don't know where to start. Does this sound like you? With so many great plants available, it can be tough knowing which ones are right for you and your home. The gardening pros at Estabrooks can help. Every time I come, they're always helpful to us. They are really knowledgeable about things because I don't know that much about gardening, so they always tell me what you know would be right in my house in the sun and the setting. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. Welcome back to the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WOB. I'm Tom Estbrook, and we are talking with Tom Atwell. And we, before the break, Tom, we were talking about container gardening. And you brought up a point that you shouldn't really have to stop gardening. And Maine is a place where a lot of people retire. And we found that container gardening becomes more and more important to folks as they may downsize, like you were talking about. Talk to us a little bit about container gardening and what you do with that. Well, we do quite a bit of container gardening. We um, we have first a bunch of uh, tropical type plants mm-hmm. that uh, we take outside during the uh, summer, like bird of paradise. Sure, uh, we like to. We've got passion flower, which is a gorgeous uh, tropical plant. And then we do the typical things like coleus, which we mm-hmm. love, some uh, geraniums, and we're gone with variegated leaf geraniums. Yeah, more. some of the old-fashioned types. Yeah. yeah, so different stuff. So we have that. And then even though we've got this monstrous uh, – well, not monstrous because it's shrinking, but this vegetable <laughs> garden that we use, I always grow some vegetables in uh, on the patio simply because, A, it gives me something to write about, and I like to see how it works. And it actually, a cherry tomato growing up on a, a stand or a trellis of some sort looks good on the patio, something to talk about. Uh, so it's real when you're out there having drinks or whatever. Absolutely, and so it's all part of the uh, the whole patio look. So we bring out plants that are in the winter; they're house plants. Mm-hmm. We take them outside, give them a vacation, and then we <laughs> plant a whole lot of stuff. So we've probably got twenty five pots of different kinds on our patio. It's just an extension of the garden for plants that we either are doing so I can write about them or just look good. And it, it it's, is a lot of fun. It's really great to work your vegetables and herbs into containers too, because I find then you've got something that you can go out and pluck off and eat if you're on the patio, or you can run out, grab, you know, when you're cooking and, you know, containers don't really kind of handcuff you. No. You know, if you if you have a small yard, you can change them every year. Your 
look and design can change every year. You can add tropicals. You can add all these different elements to your garden. I love the trellis idea. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it's just one of those things that a lot of customers have come around to. And you don't have to have unbelievable, you know, ceramic pots and spend all kinds of money. You can do it in a very inexpensive way. A lot of times customers will come in and they'll ask if we have any old big pots, you know, or if you've planted a big tree that was in a big pot, reuse the pot, you know. That's what we use a lot of, the big hard plastic pots, Mm -hmm. because there are some that are soft plastic that don't work quite well, but the ones that you got a uh, huge uh, physocarpus or whatever and – works very well and uh we use those they don't look they, they don't have to be designed or ceramic right. or anything as a matter of fact the ceramic ones are so heavy that you have trouble <laughs> moving them absolutely sometimes. absolutely you know what i find is after probably a, a month or six weeks a lot of the plants that you've planted in there are starting to trail down and no one's going to focus on the pots. They start focusing on the plants Absolutely. when you have folks over. And a lot of these, you know, new containers that plants are being planted in, you know, in in for a show in the garden center can be reused very nicely. You know, a lot of these patio pots and things that roses come in and, and some of the shrubs, they're putting them in a more and more decorative pot because they're hoping you buy that rose and you use it right on the patio. You don't yeah. even have to transplant it or anything. You know, you use it all season and then stick it in the ground in the fall. So, you know, I think the patio containers are basically changing, you know, Year in and year out. It's just more people are adding into containers. I think yards are getting a little smaller. Patios are getting a little <laughs> bigger. You know, I love sitting out on the deck and having all of those plants in window boxes and, and, and in those big patio containers. Yeah, it, it actually does. And it's uh, and they're easy to care for. You still have to weed them a little, but yep. not a whole lot. And it's uh, a good way to go. I find when we have rainy seasons, too, they tend to fare a little better, you know, because yes. the pots drain out. You know, the other trick I've I've told people is cover them over with a tarp if we're going to have a week of rain. Yeah. You know. And uh, the, the one thing that you do have to do, we have our rain barrels also on the mm-hmm. patio, and uh, you have to water these just about daily when it gets warm because they do dry out a lot faster than the plants in the regular garden. Absolutely. You know, you've got to be out there, but usually we're out there every day anyways. Oh, oh yeah. You know, when the weather's nice, you know. But let's talk about impatience because last year I was screaming through this radio mic, don't plant impatience. You know, they're telling us it's going to be a catastrophic situation. And Ann Gibbs said yesterday that they had... Four reports of impatience downy mildew in uh, Maine last year. It still is out there. Um, it could hit more, but because you know the people, the the state uh, agriculture officials warned people not to. A lot fewer people planted the impatience anyway, so it spread less than they thought it would. Uh, I think. You know, if you absolutely love impatience, plant them. Because I, I have a an acquaintance who had them. They lasted all year. looked great. But we planted a lot of uh, New Guinea impatience, mm-hmm. sun patience, and begonias that we have never done before. And they were beautiful as well. Absolutely. So, yeah. uh, so just don't go all impatience because it could happen again. But if you want to use them... 
I mean, those uh, plants aren't that expensive anyway. Just plop them in. That kind of, I guess, is where I'm going with this is I'm looking to this as a positive, you know, that, okay, we planned, we said don't do it. You made some different choices. You tried some different things instead of just standing by the old standby. And like you said, man, I tried sun impatience. They were great. I tried New Guinea impatience. They were wonderful. I tried begonias. I tried this. They all thrived. Now you've got different options. Yeah. You don't have to do the same thing every year. My mom planted impatience, and every time I walked by that darn thing, I shook my head. And I said, oh. <laughs> I went and did it again. You yeah. know, I told everybody not to do something, and here we are. The one thing I've kind of found out about this downy mildew problem is a lot of times it doesn't show up till August. Yeah. Oh, gosh, our season's almost over. It's time yeah. to plant mums at the end of August, you know? Yeah. So if you lose some impatience, but we get it all the way till mid or late August, yeah. why not plant some impatience? Yeah, and then, then put in some mums. And uh, and but this year was strange that we didn't have a, our out on Cape Elizabeth, which mm. is behind Portland, we didn't have our first frost until Almost November. I know. It was unbelievable. It's it crazy. And you can have them as early as mid-September. So right. it, uh, but, uh, you know, so everything seemed to last long and you would have missed that time. But at that time, you're sick of looking at them anyway. So yeah, put in the fall stuff. Seems to me like that's, that's really, really, really the thing is if you want to plant some impatience this year, try them. Yeah. Just don't do it all. True. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. You may not know it, but most lawn fertilizers actually spread chemicals and pesticides across your entire lawn. Until now, that's been the history of lawn care products. It's also why Espoma has developed an affordable, all-natural lawn program that is safe for kids and pets. The program consists of four organic fertilizers that are specifically formulated to keep your lawn green. Each product lasts two and a half times longer than traditional chemical products, and they won't burn your lawn or leach away. You already know Espoma as a name you can trust. They've been making organic plant foods like Holly Tone and Plant Tone for over 84 years. Imagine a great-looking lawn that you're not afraid to walk barefoot on. It's a whole new day in lawn care. Look for Espoma organic lawn food products wherever quality lawn and garden products are sold. And visit Espoma.com videos to learn more about organic lawn care. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929. Welcome back to the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. I am here with Tom Atwell, and we're wrapping up the show here, Tom. And I really appreciate you coming on. We have talked a lot about gardening, but I know you have another passion. You like beer. Doesn't everybody like beer? No. Oh, okay. I don't. <laughs> okay. I don't drink any beer. I'm not a beer lover. Now, rum, vodka, gin, wine. Now, that's a different story. Yeah. But I know Maine is a huge epicenter of microbrews. Yeah, it absolutely is. It, it's hard to believe. My mother-in-law, when uh, I was told I was going to do a beer column, how can you write about beer every week? But, I mean, there are Maine has so many microbreweries, and there are more coming all the time. There's, uh, and, the, and the old breweries introduced new beers and... There are beer events, so you can write about it. And 
I learned about good beer in 1971 when it was all imports. And then David Geary opened Geary's. Yeah. And Gritty McDuff's opened. And then Shipyard came along. And, you know, Casco, uh, you know, came in and went away. But it's been a vibrant industry. It's actually a, an industry. There are a lot of people working. So it's part business, part uh, food. That's a really interesting column to write. I'm sure it kind of is fun just to do the research. Oh, just doing the research <laughs> is all right. It, uh, I, I used to say uh, what I get paid to garden and drink beer, and you can sometimes do them at the same time. And what is wrong with that? There's nothing wrong mm-hmm. sitting on the patio or on the deck having a cocktail and looking and admiring your plants and maybe doing a little bit of work in the garden. To me, yep. that is true gardening. It's fun. That's why I tell people, you know, put your most extensive work in around the areas that you're going to entertain and, and enjoy day in and day out. The outskirts of your property, who really cares about that? It's the area tight to your home where you're really going to, you know, have those big blasts of colors out on the side, have your foundation plantings out front look good all the time. But why do you want to work in those areas? Yeah. Work right where the patio is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tom, I want to thank you for coming uh, on the show. I would love to have you back again, and uh, we'll talk about gardening. Okay, it's good to be here. All it's right. A- well, you know, another Saturday down the Days are just flying by. Spring's not far away, okay? We talked about the beginning of the show. You know, protect those plants the best you can. Make sure, get out there, enjoy your garden. I know it's cold. You know, try to protect yourself this weekend. You know, maybe go to a movie. Rent a movie. You know, enjoy that downtime and not having to work in your garden. Things are happening in the in the garden center. Things will be happening in the greenhouses very shortly. We'll talk more next week about all of the things that are starting to happen and all those seedlings are starting to go. You know, before you know it, you'll be shopping back at Estabrooks and we'll be having a good time at all your local garden centers. And, uh, you know, we're going to start talking about a lot of new plants for 2014 coming up. So enjoy your Saturday, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>